Sunday, March 13th, 2022. I'm Jared Halpern. Interest rates are going up as the Fed tries to bring down inflation. Now it's more expensive to buy a home. Uh, so a few people are going to be out buying homes and then you know, buying all the stuff that they put into those homes. I'm Jessica Rosenthal. Polling has an investment banker leading in the Ohio Senate Republican primary as the state grapples with yet another redistricting map rejected by the state Supreme Court. I really believe that we need to restore uh, the values that made America great. This is the Fox News Rundown from Washington. During the two years of the COVID pandemic, the interest rate that controls a lot of what you pay for an awful lot of loans has been unmoved at near zero percent. The Federal Reserve used that rate to try to stem the tide of a spiraling economy as offices and businesses closed. For more than three years, the Fed did not raise that rate at all. That changed this week because the slowdown of COVID has been chased away by soaring inflation, increasing at a rate not seen in four decades. So the Fed increased the rate by a quarter point or 25 basis points. So if, like me, you are now at about the end of your Federal Reserve understanding, this segment should help. I talked with Mark Zandi, an economist at Moody's Analytics, who has advised candidates, lawmakers and testified for Congress. Well, interest rates are going up. Uh, it's just a question of how fast, how far. But if you have a credit card uh, loan or debt, you, you'll start paying more on that. If you have a home equity line of credit, you'll start be, uh, having to pay more on that. And then if you're uh, out uh, looking to buy a home and need a mortgage or buying a car and needing an auto loan, uh, it's likely you'll have to pay more for that as well. So if you need credit, if you need to borrow, uh, the cost of that is uh, going up. Because all of these other loans are sort of tied to this one central loan that, that the Federal Reserve is, is in charge of? Yeah, more or less. Uh, home equity lines of credit, credit cards are tied more directly to what the Fed does with short-term interest rates. But longer-term interest rates also are influenced by what the Fed does. And that's key to things like auto loans and particularly mortgage loans. So when the rate's stepping on the brakes and pushing interest rates up, then all rates generally go up. That's not uh, you know, a law of nature, but generally they all go up and we all start paying more for that credit. So explain to me, because it sounds counterintuitive. We, we have inflation, the worst inflation in 40 years. Why would the central bank, why would the Federal Reserve make a move that's ultimately going to make things more expensive? Well, the idea is to slow things down. Uh, you know, the economy is growing very strongly, creating lots of jobs. Unemployment is uh, now pretty low, 3.8% and falling fast. And uh, interest rates are incredibly low until the move yesterday. Uh, interest rates, the short-term interest rate the Fed controls was at zero. So uh, it's uh, the intent here is to kind of uh, slow things down, get the economy to throttle back. And the way the Fed does that is making credit more expensive, and that should slow and has historically slowed uh, economic growth and uh, re ultimately reduced inflationary pressures. So what it, what is that push and pull? Is it the, the idea that if people have to have – it's harder to get credit, that that's going to slow down spending a little bit? It maybe slow down demand a little bit? Yeah, that's right. Uh, so, you know, now it's more expensive to buy a home. Uh, so a fewer people are going to be out buying homes and then – 
you know, buying all the stuff that they put into those homes. Uh, it makes it a little more expensive to go out and buy a car. So uh, people will buy fewer cars. For businesses, you know, they have to invest and they borrow money to make those uh, investments in equipment and software and, and buildings. And uh, now it's going to be a little bit more costly for them to do that. And thus they'll pull back on that. And it also weighs on asset prices like stock values. You, stock market is down, you know, partly because of Ukraine, Russia, but also because of investors anticipation of the fed's rate hikes here so that takes the steam out of you know uh stock prices ultimately housing values and that also has uh, effects on on uh demand so you know all through lots of different channels uh, weighs on uh the economy's uh, growth rate you mentioned that these interest rates had been low for a long time zero and now they're, they're starting to go up is the federal reserve too slow here i mean it's not as if the Federal Reserve would have been caught off guard by inflation this this meeting, right? Uh, they're slow. They've come under tremendous criticism. I mean, certainly in hindsight, they're too slow. I mean, inflation is way too high, uncomfortably, painfully high. And they, even the even you know chair of, of the Fed, Jay Powell, says that they're too high. So certainly in hindsight, uh, you know, but you have to put things into into perspective. I mean, it wasn't just a few months ago that we were still grappling with the pandemic, very nervous about what that meant for the economy. Uh, and now we've been nailed by Russia, Ukraine. So the the Fed has been hammered by uh, things that are you know very difficult to gauge and then to set policy around. So it's understandable that they've you know not got it exactly right. But at this point, I think everyone would uh, in, would say, and including the Fed, that they're they need to move more quickly here. What would you be advising the the Federal Reserve to do right now? I know they're an independent agency, but you're an independent guy as well. <laughs> yeah, well, I've got my views. Uh, I mean, I think the script they've laid out is a pretty good one. They pretty much told us that they're going to be raising interest rates each time they come together and meet to make a decision around rates. They've got six more meetings this year, and uh, they're going to raise rates six more times. Uh, so, uh, you know, I think that's reasonable. They, you know, they also can uh, influence uh, long-term interest rates by uh, uh, their balance, so-called balance sheet. So they they buy, uh, they've been buying uh, long-term treasury securities and mortgage securities to keep uh, uh, interest rates, mortgage rates down. They've ended that, and they can start now uh, allowing the, what they own to to roll off to mature to prepay, meaning drive long-term rates up. And I think they'll start doing that sometime, probably in May. So they've pretty clearly, very transparently articulated what their path is, and I I think the path they've articulated is a good one. What's the uh, like timeline here, right? I mean, I know that we sort of move beyond the language of transitory or temporary when we talk about inflation. Are these steps, these sort of gradual rate hikes, enough to, to curb inflation uh, What over the next several months? Are we talking about a year? How long are these prices going to stay where they are? Well, you know, a lot's out of their control, right? I mean, a lot depends on Russia, Ukraine, what happens mm. there and thus what happens with oil prices and gasoline prices. A lot depends on the pandemic. I mean, if the pandemic does not continue to wind down here, but re-intensifies and scrambles job the job market again, and you know, sending people out of work because they're sick or fearful of getting sick, or scrambling supply chains, you know, it's, right now, for example, uh, the the pandemic is raging in in China, and it's uh, it's uh, it's uh, uh, creating all kinds of havoc in the seaports there, and creating uh, creating uh, supply chain issues. So. A lot is out of their control, but you know, assuming that you know the pandemic does start to wind down, that you know Russia stands down at some point here, uh, and given the interest rate hikes that the Fed has in mind, then I would expect inflation to start to moderate 
uh, in the second half of the year, but it won't be until probably you know late 2023, early 24 before inflation is back to some level that we all feel pretty comfortable with. I mean, that's going to make it an election issue. Absolutely. It's already, you know, obviously for the midterm election, yeah. it's a big time. I mean, it's top of mind. I, I think, you know, uh, incumbent, uh, uh, incumbents in Congress, Democrats are very nervous about this, uh, and rightfully so. People are uh, very upset about it. Uh, it's, you know, really cutting into their, you know, financial well-being. And, it, and, it's, and it's something that most people, many people have not experienced, right? I mean, I have because I'm older, but you have to go back two generations to find uh, inflation as high as it is today. So this is just incredibly surprising, shocking. You know, people have not experienced it. And so they're very upset. Let me ask this question, because we talk about the rates and how they're tied to everything. Is now then the time if you need to refinance your home, you're looking at a car, maybe on the fence that if you need a loan, if you're a business looking to expand, you need to do that before the Fed meets again? Well, it's too late. Uh, to refi, it's done. You're, you know, most uh, mortgage rates are now north of four okay. percent. Most mortgages outstanding have rates that are well below four percent. So that's that's pretty much over. So you know, you might look for another window if rates go because rates go up and down. Long term rates, mortgage rates go up and down and all around. So you might get another window. So pay attention. You know, don't you know fall asleep. You know, uh, watch what's going on here because you might get a window. But you know, uh, but you have to be very deft if you if you're going to go through the window. Uh, but yeah, if you're uh, thinking about buying a home and need a mortgage, uh, you know, probably better sooner rather than later. Although that's, you know, obviously pretty tough because there isn't a lot of inventory out there for people to buy. You know, if you want to buy a, a car, again, probably sooner rather than later. But that's tough, too, because of the supply shortage, the, the supply chain issues due to the pandemic and the shortages. So, yeah, it's a, it's a difficult one for people. They're not going to be able to navigate around this. Uh, they're, they're, it's going to be, you know, um, they're going to have to pay a higher rate if they want to buy a home or a car or uh, use their credit card. I'll finish with this. Uh, and it's sort of a pivot because you talked about the, the, what's happening in Ukraine, how that's going to have an impact on inflationary pressures. What about the economy of Russia? Have you seen anything like this, this isolation, its stock market not opening? We've seen the, the ruble drop, I guess, the historic lows. What does that mean for, uh, you know, the, the, the global economy as it relates to being tied to so many other economies in Europe and around the world? Well, Russia is the economy is evaporating. Uh, this, you know, very few cases of anything that come close to this. I mean, you know, maybe like a Venezuela, but that happened over periods of years, not a period of you know a few days, three weeks. Few yeah, weeks. yeah. So it's, I'm hard pressed, you know, to to come up with anything like this. But it, that economy is evaporating. Fortunately, you know, it, it doesn't play a big role in the global economies. It's you know by itself. Before all this, it was the size of Brazil or Italy, which is you know good size, but Unlike Italy or Brazil, they, they did the linkages to the rest of the world only ran through energy markets, oil, natural gas, maybe some agricultural products and some, some metals. So the linkages here are small. And the U.S. linkages, you know, our banks and companies uh, have very little to do with, uh, with the Russian economy. So this is not a, not a problem for us. For Europe, it's a bigger deal. Obviously, you know, they, they depend on Russian energy, natural gas in particular, but also oil. Uh, and the linkages through the banking system and through uh, businesses is greater. But even there, you know, Europe can navigate, I think, pretty well. Uh, but for the Russian economy, I mean, this is, a you know, and you know, obviously for the Ukrainian economy, this is catastrophic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it, it's I, you're right. I, I can't think of a parallel either. Um, that's why I asked yeah. you. I figured if there was, you would know it. So, no, I, I, yeah. I can't. Yeah. yeah. 
Mark, listen, I appreciate the, the context, the advice, helping us sort of navigate this. I know people sometimes sort of get this hazy look on their face when we talk about what the Federal Reserve is doing. But as you point out, it's very important for us to be paying attention. And I uh, appreciate you helping us uh, make sense of all of it. Yeah, anytime. You know, I, I live for this, uh, this, this, <laughs> this stuff. So, yeah, feel free. Once Ohio's Republican Senator Rob Portman announced he was retiring, the candidates flooded in. And after withdrawals and disqualifications, about five Republican candidates have been competing for the top spot in the polls ahead of the primary in May in a race dominated by a former president. There's lots of candidates in this race that are all talk. I'm the only one that actually delivered results for President Trump. I've been in the trenches fighting for the America First agenda for the last four plus years. Jane Timken, Ohio's former Republican Party chair, got Senator Portman's backing. I'm doing everything I can to earn the endorsement and the support of President Trump. And the state's former treasurer, who has pulled well, Josh Mandel, has pledged to be a nightmare for never-Trumpers in D.C. Author and investor J.D. Vance is running as well, and so is Matt Dolan, a state senator, who appears to be the only one in the crowded field not asking for Trump's endorsement. But it's a man without the name recognition who's been outpolling his opponents, at least lately. While most data shows most Ohio Republicans are undecided right now, a Fox News poll recently found 22 percent support investment banker Mike Gibbons. Mandel was two points behind in that poll, but Gibbons led by seven points in yet another poll. They were out there talking to uh, the voters all over the state. Mike Gibbons is one of the Republicans running for Ohio's open Senate seat. And uh, and I believe they're listening to my message and, and choosing me as their candidate. Now, that said, polls have been all over the place. They've shown your, your rivals, uh, former state treasurer Josh Mandel and Jane, Jane Timken, the former chair of the state Republican Party, doing well at like sort of different times. Who do you, I guess, see as your biggest challenger in this well, primary right now? Well, uh, first of all, we're, we're the only ones that have been going up continually since we started. Everybody else bounces around. They throw stuff on TV and uh, and they'll see a little bump. Um, you know, I, I'm not sure who the the biggest candidate is, uh, or I'm sorry, the biggest competitor is. It's probably Josh. Uh, he's the one that's kind of hanging in there a little better. Our internal polls are confirming the, the, the public polls, and uh, we we're, we're, we feel pretty positive about it. Why do you think it is that 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 you guys are doing well? What what has been? You've said it's been your message and your hard work. What is that? That's message? right. Well, I'm. I want to. You know, restore American values. You know, I want to, uh, um, you know, uh, secure the border. I, I want to fight inflation. I'm, I'm actually a businessman, not a politician. And I think they like that. I think uh, our, our state uh, is, is kind of rejecting career politicians. And some of the people that are running against me are career politicians. And I think your message falls flat because of that. Um, you know, and I, I really believe that we need to restore uh, the values that made America great. And that's a message I give always. And uh, and, and I think they like that uh, that whole concept. <laughs> Ohio seems there's to like still, it. Now, we're, we're getting there, tremendous feed, feedback wherever I go. There are still quite a few undecided voters, though, if you believe the polls. Um, there are right. more undecided voters, it appears like, than than voters backing any particular candidate. What do you make of that? those voters? What are they looking for? Someone more moderate, someone more conservative, or something that has nothing to do with ideology, but something something else? You know, I have, um, 
I, I think they have a, a wide range of choices among the candidates that are out there. So uh, as far as looking at somebody more moderate, somebody more conservative, we, we're, we fit the entire ideological spectrum uh, as far as the selection of candidates. You know, I, I think just like, you know, it's typical in an election like this when you have as many as 10 candidates running and we still have a number of people that are in the race. Uh, that, that aren't, you know, and even in single digits, some of them are slightly above single digits. I think people are confused and they haven't heard all the candidates. That's why my effort is to appear before and, and have listened to me, uh, as many can, as many voters as I possibly can find. And that's what I'm doing. And, and uh, going to small towns everywhere. Yes. Yeah. We have, uh, uh, you know, we've got a, Blue and gold bus driving all over the state. I always have to defend myself because it's not scarlet and gray with uh, Ohio State. It's little <laughs> high school colors. <laughs> nice. I want to ask about capitalizing on your momentum and any obstacles you see because there are there have been some recent reports about um, some of the comments you you made in the past that some have have found offensive. Um, I guess it was in 2013. You were in college classes, you said, with many Asian people of Asian descent, and you said that you found them to be incredibly bright, but memorized things mostly. You can correct me if I'm incorrectly stating what you said. Well, I, I, and some Asian. First of all, I'm not, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to get involved in this cancel culture baloney. It, it is absolutely ridic ridiculous. It is completely out of context. That comment was made in, in a completely different context, a business context. And it was a business program, and it was, and we were discussing the virtues of American education over Chinese education. So, and I, I'm not going to get in, in into the, the New York Times, who hates any conservative. Um, you know, I I subscribe to the paper. Uh, they don't give anybody a fair shot. <laughs> well, some some Asian advocacy groups have said that they found the remarks offensive. So. Maybe you can take this opportunity to clarify that business discussion and the differences between um, educate. Because I imagine if you do serve a senator, well, you know what? They're not. You, you might have you opportunities know what? I don't, to talk about education. I, this, this is why good people don't run for office, by the way. But I can tell you this: I wasn't referring to any racial group at all. I was referring to a country. <laughs> and you know, Donald and, Trump was uh, was canceled because he he uh, he mandated uh, or he. Uh, put border protections on during the, the virus, and that was considered racist. It's, it's in the same vein. Well, talk to me then about education. What would you like to see in terms of American education versus, I, don't, I guess, Chinese uh, education? No. no. <laughs> what I was saying is I did not believe Chinese education stood up to the innovation that we teach here in America. Yeah, I, I felt that they had a different, um, you know, use a another woke word, pedagogy, than we have. And, uh, I mean, they, they teach people differently. And, and, and I believe that's why America will eventually uh, succeed where China will not. Is your primary even happening on May 3rd? We know the state Supreme Court rejected well, that's a good Ohio's question, redistricting Justin. map. <laughs> that's a good question. <laughs> it, it, it was drawn up, drawn up by Republicans, um, but for a third time, this has been rejected. I'm wondering... Does this, how do you view this? I mean, that elongates things, right? If this doesn't happen May 3rd, how do you hang on to your lead if, you know, as, as time elapses? 
uh, hang on to my lead by working right through whenever the election is. Just like I, you know, I, I use football as a metaphor in a lot of, I played high school and college football and, and, uh, I use it as a metaphor and I don't believe in a prevent defense. So I'm going to play in this last quarter, just like I did in the first. Um, it, you know, what, what has been happening is, uh, kind of in line with the Democrat philosophy of sue till you're blue. And, uh, and that's what's going on. Uh, there are many Democrats because I, you know, I obviously see the Ohio papers, and, and there are many Democrats that say they're making a huge mistake uh, because the, the the map that was shown was, you know, incredibly fair, and and they don't care; they will not accept any map. <laughs> well, let me ask you: the the court's ruling they want rejecting these. The, well, the, the court's ruling um, rejecting the the redrawn lines was a, it was a four to three decision. The majority said, and I'm going to read this. The individuals mm-hmm. who controlled the map drawing process exercised that control with the overriding intent to maintain as much as an, um, as much of an advantage as possible for members of their political party, saying a disproportionate number of toss-up districts are labeled Democratic-leaning. Given that this is the third time it's been rejected, is it time for, I guess, fresh eyes, a new look? I mean, what's the solution here? Now, there are a lot of parameters within which you have to draw these maps. And, you know, you have minority considerations, you have minority district considerations. Um, I know some of the people on that commission, it's, you know, they're doing the best they can. Uh, you know, you can't, you, you know, they have to be contiguous. There's certain rules on how many counties can, uh, or whether or not counties can be split. It's, it's, I'm not, I'm not an expert on this, but what my understanding is they're trying the best they can. And, uh, you know, they, and, and let's face it, we control the state, the Republicans control the state, and we're going to try to do things in our interest. But the last map I saw and the last results I saw were extremely fair. And you could, you can't get down. I mean, it, it, it isn't that easy to, to just move people around under the rules that they have to use to create those districts. And, uh, you know, I don't think there's been a solution that, that the Democrats will take, period. It's like it's going to be chaos, and, and that's what they like. I want to ask you about inflation. Um, a Fox News poll sure. of Ohio Republican primary voters, um, they, they found that economy, inflation, it's top of mind for people, um, followed by, like, immigration. Uh, I imagine people will, would want your, your thoughts on inflation and for you to have some serious plans as a former investment banker. You come from the financial sector. And I was uh, watching an interview you did with the Chamber of Commerce. You said the only way to deal with this is to rein in government spending. And I, I wonder right. if that is, is that all that, is that the entire solution or are there some supply chain solutions as well? I mean, we know Ohio is now the site of Intel's, uh, you know, new new manufacturing centers for, for semiconductor chips. That should ease some supply chain issues, uh, hopefully in the future. But is it really just about government spending? Um, largely it's, it's about government spending and, uh, you know, there were some supply and maybe still are some supply chain issues. I, and, and, and I have a background in this. I, I studied economics undergrad, graduate school, taught it, uh, taught economics. Um, wouldn't it be great to have somebody go to the U.S. Senate that actually understands it? Um, but right now the supply chain can cause disruptions. And yes, there are shortages and that does cause, cause a bounce in prices when there's 
when you can't get something, you'll pay more for it. That's kind of common sense. But right now we have what, what I would call wage push inflation. And, and once wage push inflation uh, filters through the economy, you're in for a, an inflationary ride until, until you tighten things up. And, uh, you know, in, in historically, what has to happen now or what will happen is that the Fed will raise rates until they slow the economy down enough. And, and it's a very delicate uh, maneuver because you don't want to crush the economy, um, but you want to slow it down enough to, uh, uh, you know, to, 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 to get people not demanding more increases. And what happens is when everybody's price of goods goes up, you know, their rent goes up, their utilities go up, they go to work and say, listen, I've got to make more money. And and employers are going to do that. They're going to pay them more in, in response to that. And that creates this spiral. And that spiral is going on now. And I can see it. You know, I'm still employed and, and I'm still working as I ride around the state. And we feel it in our business and, and we see it in every business we're working in. Finally, let me ask you about pres- former President Trump. There were um, reports that you met with the former president. Um, did you at Mar-a-Lago? Uh, you know, I'd rather not talk about that. He's going to make his own decision. Uh, and, uh, I, you know, I, I frankly uh, have been a, a Trump supporter since day one. I, I believe in his policies, and uh, and I think he knows that. And uh, I, uh, I'm not sure whether he's going to endorse. And I think you know, that may be a, a substantial differentiating factor if he does. Um, but I, I, I really can't uh, comment on that. Yeah, I was going to say, do you, I mean, what would it mean if you had that endorsement? Would that, I mean, I imagine... Well, he's very popular in this you. state. I mean, m- my expectation was if uh, for the confirmed front Trump supporter, that would be a positive uh, in looking at whatever, at whatever candidate was endorsed. Ohio Republican Senate candidate Mike Gibbons, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for talking to me. That will do it for this week's Fox News Rundown from Washington. Next week, a Supreme Court confirmation takes over D.C. President Biden's first nominee to the U.S. Supreme Court. Federal Appeals Court Judge Ketanji Brown Jackson will spend three days at least with the Senate Judiciary Committee. Jackson is the first black woman ever nominated to the Supreme Court. And if confirmed, the court would have for the first time ever four women serving together. We will recap the questions and answers and read tea leaves ahead of a confirmation vote likely next month. Until then, stay safe, stay healthy, and stay in touch with those you care about. For our entire team at Fox News Radio, thank you for listening. I'm Jared Halpern from Washington. Washington.